The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Hope you guys are all doing well. Join the slight break from the heat that we've had over the past couple days. Um, so it's October 26th, 2014, and after years of people asking me this question, are you ever going to run um, a half marathon, I decided I was going to run a half marathon. And I'd run the distance um, actually a number of times before, so I was, I was feeling quite confident, which was going to prove to be my problem, actually, um, in how this run went for me. Um, there's actually a, a couple slides I want to show you. This was, the, this was my pace over the route of, um, of the 13.1 miles that is a half marathon. And like I was feeling really good until mile 10. And if you kind of see, um, like up until mile 10, I was at an eight minute, 17 a mile pace, feeling great. And then at mile 10, something happened. And that's the next slide. Um, I, just, I feel like I died, actually. Um, runners call that, we call that hitting the wall. Um, some people call it bonking. Um, but it was right at mile number 10 that I felt like, like, I felt like I was done. And those last three miles um, were just painfully agonizing um, to try and finish. And some of it was actually even downhill. Um, it was just a really, really tough uh, last three miles of the race. And, and that... That reminds me of this thing um, several years, actually, CS did it again. So I'm going to say like 12 years ago, someone got me a shirt. They were at the Nike outlet, and they took a picture of this shirt, and they said, John, do you want one of these? And as soon as I saw the shirt, I immediately said, yes, I want one. And you just be glad I didn't wear it today. That's all I got to say. Okay? It just says this, running sucks. Um. Over the years, I've had all sorts of questions that people ask me uh, during my run streak. Uh, especially, they ask me this when I'm wearing this shirt. They're like, "Well, you run all the time, so where are you? Why are you wearing this shirt?" And I said, "Well, have you ever run? Because if you've ever run, you know that running sometimes is really hard. It's really challenging. It's really difficult. It's honestly, I would say, it's rarely fun." Another question that people often ask me is on this run streak that I'm on, well, okay, well, have you ever, what happens when you're sick? Have you ever been injured? And the answer to both of those questions is yes. Um, I re, do you remember 2020? Do you remember how great of a year 2020 was for the entire world? Um, so it's December of 2020, and at the Mulholland House, we decided to end a really terrible year in a really terrible way. Uh, my wife had, uh, had surgery um, for, for her second round of breast cancer in December. And then on December 26th of 2020, I woke up and I just had this really low-grade pain in my stomach. And kind of as the morning went on, as the hours went on, um, like the pain got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I, ha I didn't run yet in the morning, which is really unusual for me uh, in the morning to not run. 
And I want to say probably about 8.30, 9 o'clock, finally I'm on our couch and I'm in a ball and my stomach hurts so much. So our son John uh, takes me up to Regional West. And as the morning went on, the pain grew more and more and more and more. And finally, I'm, I'm, I'm in, a, in the fetal position, not quite sucking my thumb, um, but I'm moaning. And what happens is they come in and they, like, and I started to guess what it was. And they, they did an ultrasound and sure enough, I had a kidney stone. Right? So they gave me some pain meds, which were fantastic, I should say. Um, so I'm laying in on the, on, the, on the bed in the ER, and I send my wife a text. And it's just a, a picture, um, like a little emoji of a, of a person running. And, my, and Anne's response, did you already run today, or are you breaking your streak? There are 12 hours, 15 minutes left in the day, was my response. She said, you're not running today, smiley face. I found a GIF, I'm a GIF master, in case you don't know that. I found a GIF that says, let's not make any rash decisions. Um, get home from the hospital, go out and run a mile um, at an 8.43 pace, which was really impressive for someone with a kidney stone. Um, so I've run, when I've, been, I've run when I've been hurt, been run when I've been injured. Um, Running is really hard. I think of three particular other times in my life when we were living in Cedar Rapids. It was a summer day. It was in the afternoon. I rarely run because I don't like running in the heat. And I had run up this really long hill, and it was really warm. And then just my vision kind of came in like this. <clears throat> like black came in on my vision. And I saw stars, which I'd seen stars at night before, but never during the day. Um, and I kind of like I got through that and went home and drank a bunch of water. There was another time I was running in Cedar Rapids when it was really cold out one morning, and there was this really long stretch, and I was running into the wind. It was probably February, and I call it the ice helmet run because what it felt like was someone had put an ice helmet on my head, and it was just melting and melting and melting, and my brain was freezing. The third one, and then I'll be done talking about running, I promise. For today. Um, the third one I call the gravel bar mile, and we have a slide for this as well. I, was, uh, I went canoeing with a group of students in 2015, and this is when I'm in my current run streak. And we were canoeing for five days, we paddled 60 miles, and I'm trying to figure out, like, how am I going to run a mile every single day? Like, what does it look like in the middle of nowhere where I'm going to be? Well, now there's a river there, there used to be a gravel bar there. And this particular morning, it was a Thursday. I woke up, and kind of at the, at the top right there, you see the little green arrow, that was where I started. Um, it was probably, this gravel bar was probably the size of this room. So I ran a couple loops up top, and then I ran down to the bottom, and that was like seven or eight loops before I finally hit a mile and stopped. And you're running on rocks like this big. It was just very uncomfortable. And the thing that we have to kind of realize is we're thinking about what does it mean for us to run the race um, that matters, which is running the race where, where we're being made into disciples, where we run the race where we're making other people into disciples and we're telling them about Jesus. Um, the thing that we have to remember is it's really hard. This race that we are all on and being made into a disciple of Jesus and making others into a disciple of Jesus is really challenging and really hard for us, and it's going to require um, something of us. 
And last week we talked about that running the race that matters, making disciples, is a lifetime commitment that's going to require us to first orient our entire life around the worship of Jesus Christ. I'm going to start this race where I want to be a disciple, where I want to make disciples of other people. I have to orient my life. I have to begin by orienting my life around the person of Jesus. Why Jesus? Because our hope is in Jesus. Our message is Jesus. The great love of our life is Jesus. That's why we just sang three songs praising and worshiping and about Jesus. We're we're not praising us in this race. We want to make this race about the person of Jesus Christ. And if you want to start strong, we talked about this, you have to have the support of other people. People have to support you in the race that you're doing. You have to be disciplined and you have to understand the cost. And this is where we want to remember that Jesus paid the price for our salvation. Jesus paid the price for our salvation. But it's not without cost to us as individual Christians. It's not without cost to us as the church. It's going to cost us something. Even though the price has been paid, it's going to cost us something. But in fact, it's going to cost us everything. Today we're talking about what it looks like to, to run his race. So we've, so we've started and now we're in that space between we've become a follower of Christ and at some point we're all going to die and we're in that space. At some point we're going to finish well and that's next week. But right now what, what the vast majority of us are wrestling through as Christians, as we are on our way to becoming a, a fully developed and consistent follower of Jesus Christ, is, is we're just running the day-to-day race. And what does this look like for me? What are the things that are demanded of me as I run this race, as I run his race, as I run this lifetime commitment? We're going to look at three different sets of texts today. And the first is found in Hebrews 12, uh, verses 1 to 4. If you have version, all the verses are in there. That's the easiest way. If you don't have a version on your phone and you want to use a Bible in the seat in front of you, you'll find Hebrews 12, 1 to 4 on page 755. So we have this race ahead of us. And how do we get through it? Here's what, here's what the author of Hebrews is going to tell us. The author of Hebrews is going to tell us that we win this race, we run this race by focusing on Jesus. Let's read Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 4 together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. So this tells us lots of different things about what it looks like to run 
his race, to what it looks like to run the race that matters in that in-between space where I become a follower of Christ and then I'm going to finish well. I'm at, kind of at the tail end of my life and I know I need to finish well. Well, what about, what about that middle space? What happens when you hit mile 10? Because mile 10 is not quite finishing well. Finishing well is mile 12. Finishing well is that point one at the end of 13, which we'll talk about next week. We are running in the middle of the race. I think there are some things that are helpful from us, from, from this text for us. The first is this. We are surrounded by witnesses. Each and every one of us, as a follower of Christ, we are surrounded by witnesses. We are surrounded by other people who are, who are observing our lives, who are watching us. Every single thing we do, they are paying attention to us. And a question that we kind of have to ask, remembering where this is in Hebrews in Hebrews 11, the author had just made this long, uh, this, I almost said long post, because that's how I think, posts. Uh, the author of Hebrews had, had just made this long, this long chapter, this long section about all of these, what we call heroes of the faith from the Old Testament. Let me tell you about this person. Let me tell you about this person. Let me tell you about this person. They acted in faith. They acted in faith. They acted in faith. They acted in faith. And at the end of that, at the beginning of chapter 12, the author says, we are surrounded by witnesses. So is the author talking about those people who had acted in faith and were now sort of witnessing our race? Witnessing our competition? Is the author of Hebrews talking about the people that are around us today who are observing us? I think the answer to that question is yes. I think the answer to that question is not only are, and I don't know how this works, not only are we being observed by this, by this great cloud of witnesses who by faith lived in ways that honored and glorify God and have now passed on. But we're also surrounded by the everyday people that we see. It's people watching every single move that we make as Christians. What we need to know is, is that's part of the deal. I think sometimes we think it would be easier if people weren't watching us. If, if we didn't feel maybe so scrutinized by other people as they watch and observe us. We certainly feel like we wish we weren't so scrutinized when we make mistakes. And we bring shame on the name and the person of Jesus. We certainly wish those people weren't around then. But being surrounded by people is part of the deal. This is what it means for us that people are a witness to what Jesus has done for us. We are witnesses. We are being witnessed by other people, and we are witnesses. We are to live in a way that demonstrates that we've been changed by the gospel that we hear. That's our call. There was this great line in last week's Bible reading plan. It said, the competition reveals our progress. The competition reveals our progress. As I think back to that day in October of 2014, the competition revealed my progress. 
100%. As Christians, what we have to recognize is that because we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, there's always a competition taking place. As followers of Christ, we, we don't get a day off to demonstrate what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus. We don't circle a day on the calendar. You probably do it on your phone now. We don't do those things on our, on our calendar six months from now and say, man, on October 24th of 2014, I'm going to live like a Christian and everyone is going to see me. And then on October 26th of 2014, the next day, I'm going to be tired. And I'm just I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run less. That. I'm going to be less of a Christian that day. See, that's not... That's not the way that our faith operates. When we become followers of Christ, we don't circle a date in the future that we are training for to finally live out the fullness of our Christian life. The moment that we become followers in Christ, training starts. The competition begins the learning curve is steep. Another thing the author talks about here says that we must get rid of the things that hinder our race, especially the sin that so easily entangles us. See, as a like I run, I run warm. So for me, I wear the least amount of legally required clothing when I go out for a run. Does that make sense? The least amount of legally required clothing. That's what I wear when I go for a run. Sorry for the mental image, but that's what I wear when I go for a run. I just run warm. Because, frankly, like wearing a bunch of clothes and sweating, that hinders my race. It gets in the way. And as followers of Christ, as people who want to live out a life that honors God, there are things that hinder us in our walk. There are things that hinder us in our race. There are things that get in the way. And the biggest one that the author here is saying, the biggest one, the main one, is our sin, which so easily entangles us. That's the thing. It's our sin. So what we are called to do, what the author is telling us to do, is, is to get rid of those things, is to eliminate them from our lives. This is where having the support of other people comes into play. This is where being disciplined comes into play. This is where interacting with other followers comes into play. Learning and growing in our relationship with God. The way for us to run his race is to remember that like, there are some things we have to get rid of. There are some things that, that we can't carry around with us. When we were talking about this in staff meeting the other day, um, actually runners during this time, they, wouldn't, they would actually run with no clothes on. Nothing hindering their run. Nothing gets in the way. Here's the third thing that this author says. We must run with endurance the race that God has set for us. We must run with endurance the race that God has set for us. 
See, endurance is something that develops over time. Think of any skill that you have in your life. You've developed it over time. You started at one point, and because, as we've talked about many times, it is rarely a straight line to whatever your skill is or you've sort of mastered it, right? It takes time. It takes effort. I didn't just, I didn't just go out. I mean, I saw this, is, and this, I'm going to talk more about this in a second. Like that race that I ran in October, that's evidence of why you don't just go out and run a half marathon without being prepared for it, without being ready for it. Endurance is developed over time to run the race that God has set for us. There's a Hebrews 10 chapter verse 36 says this, patient endurance is what you will need now so that you'll continue to do God's will. Then you'll receive all that he has promised. This was something we talked quite a bit about on Monday. Patient endurance, that means you wait. It means I'm going to try this skill, I'm going to try this thing, and I'm, going to, I'm just going to grow into it. I'm going to be patient as I go through it. I'm going to wait as I go through it. I'm going to bide my time as I go through it. And we, we talked a little bit about running, like how you got to bide your time. you got to wait a little bit. you got to pace yourself. Patient endurance is required if you want to run the race that God has set for us. Well, what does running with endurance mean? How do we do that? The author answers this question in verse 2, Hebrews 12. We do this. We run with endurance by keeping our eyes on Jesus. See, that's really the trick, this whole thing. If we're going to run the race that matters and we're going to run his race, what we have to do is we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to see Jesus. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. The text tells us that it's Jesus and not us who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus initiates and perfects our faith. We don't initiate and perfect our faith. We're not out there earning our salvation. We're not out there adding to our salvation. What we're doing is is we're running the race. And we're keeping our eyes focused on the person of Jesus Christ. Because he is the author. He is the initiator and perfecter of our faith. And then the text tells, well, how did he do that? How did he win this race? It says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. The Greek word for race means struggle. It means fight. It means agony. And I wonder, when you think about those three words, and you think about your life in relation to what it means to be a follower of Christ, my guess is there are probably times where it's felt like a struggle, hasn't it? Haven't there been times where it's felt like it's a fight? Haven't there been times where it's felt like agony? 
Again, like I hit mile 10 and I'm like, I'm done. And all I could think about is how am I going to get to the, am I going to walk? Like I am done. This is agony. I love the way the author says that when the race is over, you're going to be beaten and bloodied because you have yet to give your life in the struggle against sin. You haven't yet even shed blood against sin. You see the picture and the graphic image that this text is painting for us? And sometimes I think as Christians, we think that, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start strong, and then my life is just going to be easy. And then I'm going to die, and then I'm going to go to heaven. And I, I don't know where that comes from. Because it's not reality. It's certainly not my lived reality. It's not my lived experience. And my hunch is it's not yours. So we have this coming against us, and we're told that at the end of the race, like you're going to be tired, sore, and worn out. And that's one of the things is like when I do my little running thing, like I tell myself at the beginning, especially like if the if the weather is bad. I like just tell myself, this is going to be the worst experience of my entire life right here. Let's go do it. Like, acknowledge it. What this author is telling us is that this race that we're running, his race that he has set out for us, is going to require something of you. You're going to have expended energy, you are going to be tired. Something that we've shared with our, with, our, uh, with our Wednesday at Westway team members in the past is, hey, when you leave on Wednesday night, you're going to leave tired. And in fact, shocker, we want you to leave tired. We want you at the end of Wednesdays at Westway, we want you to have expended yourself for God's kingdom. We want you to pour out yourself for God's kingdom so you can be filled again by the power of Jesus. We want you to pour yourselves out. Like at the end of a race, if you're not tired, you didn't do something right. As followers of Christ, we want to, be, we want to expend our lives. We want to give our lives. In fact, Jesus says this. Willie talked about it last week. If you want to be my, defo- my follower, says Jesus, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. What do we think that means? Oh, my spouse is kind of annoying, so he or she must be my cross to bear. I have a friend. They must be my cross to bear. I struggle financially. That must be my cross to bear. It's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about is he's calling us to die to ourselves, to expend everything that we have for this race, to sacrifice all things for this race. You can flip back in your Bibles to the book of the letter of Galatians on the Bible in the seat back. It's on page 730. So here's what's going on at the church in Galatia. They had a really good start. 
They get planted. They're doing well. And as you're turning to Galatians 5.7, I'm going to read something from the beginning of the letter. Paul wrote this. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. That's the situation in Galatia. Galatians 5, 7 says this. You are running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? Galatians, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? If we were to read the next several verses and chapters together, we'd see that God, or Paul answers that question. It wasn't God who held them back. It was their acceptance of false teachers and false teachings that they had allowed in. See, the thing that, the thing that cut in on the Galatians was false teachings that they had willingly accepted that had gotten in their way. And as I've thought about that October day, you know who held me back? Three people. Me, myself, and I. Those are the three people that held me back on that day in October. There was no one else I could point to There was no one else I could shift blame to. The reason I hit that 10-mile point and bonked was me. See, I simply failed to train. I didn't respect the distance. I didn't respect the race. The longest distance that I had run leading up to that had been about a month and a half earlier. I ran one 14-mile run and then two 10s. And you know what? It just wasn't enough. As I racked my brain for that last three miles, I just kept coming back to, I didn't train enough. I didn't train enough. I didn't train enough. I didn't train enough. And see, when when I'm honest with myself, and I think about the people who most often, most consistently hold me back from knowing the truth of God and acting in accordance with it? Strange. It's the exact same three people. Me, myself, and I. I can't shift blame to other people. I can't say, well, if someone else only would have done this, if someone else only wouldn't have done that, I have to take ownership of my faith. Me, ownership, me, myself, and I. And the problem is my own wants and wishes and desires, they just get in the way of what God wants for me. And that's why it's so crucial for us to understand that we are running God's race. We're not running, we're not, I'm not running John Mulholland's race. Because let me tell you, I'd run it a lot differently. And so would many of you. And here's reality. When we run God's race our way, it doesn't work out. 
It may take 10, you may be 10 miles in to the 13 mile race. And if you try to run someone else's race your way, you're gonna, you're gonna hit the wall, you're gonna bonk. See, the reality is, when I think about my walk with God, there are times where I don't want to train. I know what I should do. I don't want to train. I don't want to put in the time. I don't want to put in the effort. I don't want to put in the energy. I don't want to prepare. And what happens is when I, when I do that, and, and when you do that, we, we show a tremendous lack of respect to the race. We show a tremendous lack of respect to the, the designer of the race. And that's really watering down the real problem because the real problem is our sin. We just call that sin. When I know what God wants me to do and I do something else, I sin. Simple as that. I can dress it up and I can say, oh, I, I wanted something else or I wasn't really sure or I need to, I'll do that when I'm ready. The bottom line is when I don't run the race that God has set out for me, I'm sinning. I'm guilty of that sin. To do something about that, turn it over to Christ. Repent. Ask for and receive his forgiveness because the Bible tells us that, that when we sin and we acknowledge our sin before God, he's, um, he's righteous and just to forgive us so we can just claim the heck out of that text. That God forgives us when we sin. That's really good news for us as Christians, that God does forgive us. Then I got to do something else. Page 716 in the Bibles in the seatbacks is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. We've been talking about these verses last week, and then we're going to complete them next week. But 926 says this. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. See, here's the thing that Paul is telling the church in Corinth. The life of a disciple and the life of a disciple maker is a life of intentionality. A life of intentionality. It's a life of purpose. There are no pointless training days. Again, we're not, we're not circling that day on the calendar. I'm going to really live like a Christian on this day. Everyone's going to see me. I'm going to live my life in training. Because I never know. Because I'm surrounded by witnesses. I never know when the moment of competition is going to come. I never know when, as a Christian, someone is going to ask me the question. I never know when someone is going to ask me or want to talk to me about something that as it pertains to my relationship with God. So what that means for me and what it means for you, this isn't just for pastors and professional Christians. What this means for us is that we need to live a life of practice. A life of intentional effort to always be ready for when that moment comes to us. And the thing is, when we, when we are running like a regular race, there are lots of things that we can know. 
We can, we can look at the course, and we can look at the elevation, like where are the, the water stations. Like there are a whole host of things that we can know. But then there's a whole bunch of other variables that don't present themselves until race day. And that's things like the weather. That's things like the humidity. That's things like rain or sleet here in western Nebraska, hail. Like there's lots of things as we think about running our race that we're just completely unsure of. How is this going to go? What's going to happen? Well, Jesus tells us that there are two things that we can be confident of. I did not put the page number down for this. It's John 16, 33. This is at the end of Jesus's life. And as he's sitting in the room with his closest followers, with his 11 at this point in the story, because one of them has left. Jesus says this in John 16, 33. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, Jesus is telling his followers that there are two things that they can be confident of. Mulholland paraphrase, number one, life is going to suck. I don't know if you know this, disciples. You don't know. I do because I'm Jesus. Every single one of you, except for John, are going to be martyred for your faith. Every single one of you. Your life is going to be hard. You're going to face incredible challenges and realities. Peter, John, probably in a couple months, you guys are going to be called before the council, the same ones that are going to execute me tomorrow, and they're going to beat you with rods 39 times. He doesn't tell them any of that. He tells them, that in their life here on earth, they're going to have many trials and sorrows. But take heart. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Did you notice the location of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12 after all of this? It says that he was seated on the throne next to God. So here's this image that I want you to get in your mind. It's this huge stadium in the city of Corinth. We're going to be talking about Corinth beginning September 10th. It's this huge athletic stadium in Corinth. And there would have been, would have been a throne, like the, the city leaders, the, all of the people who were in charge of the city would have been there. And they would have been watching the games. And what would happen is someone's going to win. And the people who are, who are on the throne are going to be cheering on those people winning. And they're going to give them a prize. A couple verses later in 1 Corinthians 9, it talks about they'll receive a crown that will perish. Well, I didn't know this. I just found this out this week. But the crown that they gave was wilted celery. Like I've got some celery in a bag down there from our garden. Like, that was the crown. And here's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 9. 
There's a group of people who are going to give every single thing for their entire life. And what they're going to receive if they win is a piece of celery they're going to put around their head. And what he says is that's not what we're running for, Christians. We're running for an eternal crown. We're running for an eternal prize. This is what we are going to receive. And that is worth way more than a hat made of celery. In fact, it's worth everything. In fact, it's worth shedding our blood, being willing to shed our blood in pursuit of a life that Jesus offers us. There's this hymn that I've had on my mind all week long. And if I were Dale Mason, I would sing it. But I'm not as cool as Dale Mason, so I'm not going to sing it. This goes like this. This is the chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Yes. What this text is telling us to do as we think about the race that we are running is to focus our eyes on the person of Jesus. That's how we get through. That's how when the wall hits, we continue to run. Because we're not looking to our own strength, but we're looking to the strength of the one who has already won Let's pray. Father, I just ask today that we would focus our eyes on you. In the midst of the things that we are each dealing with in our lives. Help us to focus on you. Help us to trust you. Help us to see you at work. Help us to grow in our love for you, in our acceptance of you, in our obedience to you. And it's in your son's name that we pray.